So now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. I'm still here, but you know, I know, I think, a little off key, <laughs> comparatively, but fine gone. Anyway, anyway, I want to welcome you all to the show. Today is June 1st. Can you guys believe it? Yes, it is. It's, it's June 1st, which means we're beginning, well, we're not quite in June yet. We're in the sixth month of the year. <sighs> yes, summertime. I don't know if it's hot where you guys are, but it's kind of warm here in Tennessee, in middle Tennessee, and um, it's okay, you know? One of the coolest things I have, I don't know how many of you, it was probably in November, I actually got this um, this bird, um, what's it called, a bird feeder, <laughs> try, to, try to like words, my middle age here, I, try, I got this bird feeder, it's, it's one of these bird feeders that you actually stick to your window. And 
And on the directions it says, you actually stick this thing to your window that, that the birds will actually come in within like five to six weeks. Well, I put it up in the winter and, you know, I watched and watched and watched and there were no birds. No birds came and Bareface told me, don't worry, just keep it up. You know, the birds will come in the spring. And I was like, ah, no, they won't. So I kept it up and then no, none of the birds came to it. I was like, this is so frustrating, man. This is completely frustrating. Uh, oh well, if it's, it's out of sync, that's okay. You can just pretend like I'm a black and white movie. <laughs> anyway, so this this bird, uh, this this bird feeder. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna move it. I'm gonna put it up on a different window. Maybe this thing will attract birds on this window instead. And two days ago, I think it was two days ago, I finally saw a bird in it. And I was so excited. I totally took a picture. Like, hey, Howie. And uh, and then last night I was sitting on um, my couch because I had it cleverly placed on the window. I was looking out the window, and I and I had blinds on my window, so I wasn't able to actually see the bird feeder. But I heard all this loud chirping all of a sudden. And so I got up, I quickly turned the blinds open, I looked out, and sure enough, there's two birds. There's there's two birds in the bird feeder. I I was like so excited. I know I don't get it. It doesn't take much <laughs> to excite me, but. But it was very cool, and I think that they were little little finches, you know. And so, hey, I was I was thinking a lot. But I love birds. If, if I didn't, you know me, you know that I'm a bird lover. My maiden name is a bird. Okay, so I mean, I kind of you know have the bird theme in my life the whole my whole life. Anyway, <clears throat> and you know what's interesting? And I realized this this week as I was reading in God's Word that birds don't sell. They don't sell. They don't Neither do they gather into barns. Right. They don't they don't do any of that. Right. And and yet it's interesting. They they don't do anything and yet God provides for them. They're the birds that don't do anything. Yeah. The we are the pirates that don't do anything. <laughs> I was gonna make a bad joke when I said birds don't sell, I was gonna be all I was gonna be like like pause, and then I was gonna go, and they don't crochet either. <laughs> you um, could have resisted. <laughs> hey, I thought that was funny. <laughs> is the audio is the audio distorting for you as well? Yeah, it it is, and I don't know why. It's, I don't know if it's just shortened my mic all of a sudden or what. I think it might be the mixer. Yeah, maybe. All right. Anyway, <laughs> right, Megan. Okay. All right. Well, you guys, thanks for coming in. All right. So we're gonna talk about the news today. You know, Donald Trump is in the news. Did you? Can you believe it? The president of the United States. He's in the news. And I have to tell you, um, you know, that we're gonna talk about Israel a little bit. Uh, hi, uh, Andrea. Nice to see you guys. And um, and there you're suddenly back in. Okay. Good. Well, thanks for you know bearing out. I know that. My other friends have been having issues in their in their scopes too. So sometimes it's just periscope, you know. That's it. So good. I'm glad. All right. I want to read you something. A couple of days ago, I got this book. I was in a I was in a, a thrift store, and I don't know about you, but there's two things I really love in life. I love books, and I love birds. <laughs> I love the Lord too, obviously, but. But if you give me a book about birds, hey, you're in. Just saying, okay? But I uh, I was in the, the this handy this thrift store, and um, I happened to stumble across this two-volume set called The Glory and the Dream, A Narrative History of America from 1932 to 1972. Now, I was I was actually um, born in 1968, so this was this is all pretty pretty me for the most part. <laughs> pretty me, get it? I was a preemie too, just so you know, like what, five weeks early? I don't remember. But anyway, so anyway, so I was reading, I, the reason I got this, I used to hate history as a kid. Oh, I hated it. Um, and in fact, my history teacher, his name was Mr. Good, true story, G-O-O-D-E. He was my fifth grade history teacher, or no, not fifth grade, seventh grade. He was my seventh grade history teacher. And this guy loved history so much that when he taught our class, he would literally fall asleep. True story. <laughs> anyway, 
So maybe maybe that seed was planted in my head that history is so exciting that it puts the history teacher asleep when they're actually teaching it. But <clears throat> Wiley was actually teaching. Wiley was he speaking actually, like he on his feet. Asleep. He actually fell asleep. But I remember one day I was while class. on his feet or no, he was sitting down. He was a hefty man. Okay, and then he'd be talking and then more slowly. <laughs> He, yeah, he was. I remember students taking their books and dropping them on the floor to wake him up because he was, yeah. Anyway. While he was still speaking, he'd fall asleep. Yeah. Anyway, so one day. One um, tired man. That's my story here. Back to your story. <laughs> Cut to you. So, <laughs> so I became a believer, and then one of my friends taught me about Christian history. And they, they taught me that history for the Bible was very important, and I began to really understand and like history as a result. So, anyway, so that's grown into my love of actual history. But here's the thing. We live in a day and age today where everybody is totally, like, rewriting history. And so whenever I find an old book like this, uh, I'm, like, on it, because this was way before all the stupid political fractions got into play. And so... I was reading this, and this even has information about Alfred Kinsey in here, which I'm not going to read today, but I wanted to read you this one little part out of this book, just so you can hear something very interesting. And uh, I'm trying to turn the page stuff. And this was written in 1973, okay? So, um, yeah, okay. So let's do this. This is on page seven of this book. Actually, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to read it beginning on page six so you can get the context. So he's talking about rock bottom here and he says, um, and and this is remember this was written way back and this was talking about the era from nineteen thirty two, okay? Onward. It says here, um, uh, blacks occupied Foggy Bottom, southeast or southwest Washington, and all of Georgetown, which had not yet been discovered by lovers of the claim, possibly because the rest of the city was so picturesque. The district was greener then. There were six shades for every inhabitant. The most exotic neighborhoods were uh, Caloroma Heights and Upper Massachusetts Avenue. As every Jew knew, the lovely mansions were, quote, restricted, unquote. But anti-Semitism was no more unfashionable than white racism. It didn't even trouble the diplomatic community since there was no such nation as Israel. Embassy Row, now on uh, Massachusetts Avenue, was then on 16th Street within walking distance of the White House. And the ambassadors were, wore striped pants and frock coats. They had to step carefully if they roamed the downtown area, for much of it was cobblestone. Supermarkets were still a California phenomena. District food shopping was done in small groceries and front and red-fronted outlets of the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company in open markets or on pavements. Organ grinders and pushcart peddlers could be heard in the streets together with the shouts of men wheeling grindstones and inviting housewives to bring them scissors and knives for sharpening. Downtown flower and fruit stands provided vivid flashes of color on street corners. Oyster markets flourished down by the, the wharf. The Washington District Market was on Pennsylvania Avenue where the National Archives now stands. The Farmer's Market was on K Street. It's forming spectacular celebrated for the cries of its fish hawkers and racks of dead rabbits. There was even a saddlery with a life-size wooden horse in front. Uh, where there were still several thousand workforces in the district in 1932. The K Street cobbles were dotted with their mementos, the scent of which mingled with fragrances from the great markets and the corner stands, but soon vanished in deference to the great god Macadam. Even during the Depression, Washington was visited by swarms of tourists, but they did not land at, Na at Washington National Airport, which, through which would pass in 1970 a total of 24,000 passengers a day. Those frantic acres then lay silent under the waters of the Potomac. Air travel was rare, the labor market being what it was. Airlines could require that every stewardess be a registered nurse, but passenger planes, usually a tri-motor Ford, never flew at night or in bad weather. 
There were no coast-to-coast flights. The average airliner speed was 155 miles an hour. By changing plans, one man crossed the country in 18 hours. His picture was in all the papers. Although Washington had a field, a Hoover Airport, or rather Hoover Airport, on the Virginia side of what is now a 14th Street Bridge, then called Highway Bridge, it was used by only 250 passengers a day. The vast majority of travelers, 11 million of them each year, arrived at the Union Station. The glorious rain and steam engine was at the height of its Indian summer. There were 20,000 locomotives snuffling across the countryside as compared to fewer than 300 in 1970. And the long plaintiff wail of the steam whistle stirred restless young men all over America. 15-year-old John F. Kennedy heard it at the Choate School in Longford, Connecticut. Lyndon Johnson, then a teacher of public speaking, heard it in Houston and in Whittier, California. A college student named Richard M. Nixon listened in the night, wondering, wondering what lay across the eastern horizon and what Washington, D.C. was like. And I can go on, but this is not bedtime story time. <laughs> but I read that because as I was reading this earlier, I was like, man, what a day. And what a day we live in today. You know what I mean? Uh, the name of this is called um, The Glory and the Dream, A Narrative History of America. Uh, and this is by William Manchester. I have no idea if he's a liberal or conservative or what. I don't know. All I know is that what really stood out to me as I was reading this was this line in particular. It says here, As every Jew knew, the lovely mansions were restricted but anti-Semitism was no more unfashionable than white racism. It didn't even trouble the diplomatic community since there was so since, since there was no such na- nation as Israel. You know, I don't know about you, but I take I take it for granted that Israel exists today, and I take the the international uh, media or the media in general in our coverage of, of Israel for granted. We, but back then in 1932, Israel didn't exist. Israel wasn't a nation yet. And yeah, anti-Semitism, yeah, anti-Semitism was very common. That's basically what they're saying here. Just like racism was back then. And anti-Semitism is, is even worse today, in my opinion. Which is why it was interesting when Donald Trump became our president and he promised everybody in the in the Christian community in the evangelical world who actually backed him that he would he would move the embassy of Jerusalem or the, the US embassy to Jerusalem in Israel. Um, this is a big deal, people so, well something that was decided on uh, a couple decades ago, right? Well, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, it was. And so here you have a man, though, that the church voted into office. Okay, don't miss it. The church voted Trump in. It wasn't, if without the church vote, Trump wouldn't be the, the president. That's the truth. Um, and yet, um, is it any shock that one of the big leading news stories today happens to be that Trump has decided to not make Jerusalem, uh, you know, that, that where the embassy can't fall out Yeah. This just in <laughs> my notes. Um, yeah, in fact, I read on Facebook, and I want to read this to you. Don't be mad at me if you love Trump, because don't be mad at me. I'm just reading you this. Okay, hold on. I read this on Facebook, and as you know, everything on Facebook is true. Okay. So one of, somebody posted this on Facebook. They posted, one more Trump promises have been broken. Number one, Mexico will pay for border walls. Number two, better health care, much better for less money. Number three, Obamacare replacement will cover everybody. Government will pay for it. Number four, not going to cut Medicare or Medicaid. Number five, lower prescription drug prices. Six, kill Iran nuclear deal. Seven, defeat ISIS quickly. Eight, total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Nine, register all Muslims in a database. Uh, Ten, cancel new Air Force One. Eleven, jail Hillary Clinton. How many of you guys remember him saying that? (laughs) Twelve, declare China a currency manipulator on day one. 
13, 45% tariff on imports from China, 14, 35% tariff on companies that move jobs overseas, 15, grow the economy 4% per year, 16, renegotiate or leave NAFTA, 17, we'll have great negotiators for diplomats, not political contributors, 18, offer UK quick and fair trade deals shortly after taking office, 19, going to be working for you, not going to have time to go play golf, 20, four American prisoners in Iran back in our country before taking office, 21, bring coal miner jobs back, 22, hire, hiring freeze on all federal employees except military safety and health, 23, spend less defending uh, Europe, Japan, and Korea, 24, abolish gun-free zones and schools and military bases, and number 25, move American embassies to Jerusalem. Those are 25 promises President Trump has broken already. Now, are you trying to tell me that a that a politician didn't keep a campaign promise? Well, I'm going to say. My goodness, what is this world coming to? Hold on a second, okay? I'm, I'm I just read this on Facebook, okay? So this is linked to the story Trump signs waiver keeping U.S. embassy in Tel Aviv for now. See, this is what everybody is actually talking about, okay? First of all, I'm I'm not a fan of Trump but I'm not a hater of Trump either. And so let's be fair here, okay? He's been in office, what, six months, five months? This is the beginning of the six months, right? How many of you can do any of that stuff in five months? Yeah, that's what I thought. See, you can't do it either. Um, you know, he has power to do stuff, but, you know, come on, let's be reasonable, people. What has Obama done in eight years? Just saying. What did Bush Jr. do in eight years prior to him? Just saying, you know, the the president is a bully pulpit. Politics as usual. Right? I mean, you you can't, um, you know, you have you have to have Congress's help to do a lot of this stuff. And Congress is like asleep at the wheel, and as pathetic as Congress is. It's still, you know, hey, America's still the best government in the world, in my opinion. But our Congress is nimby, and that's the truth, right? The Republicans are a bunch of wimps. And they're 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 bought and paid for. So let's you know, let's just say let's just say it how it is. So anyway, here's the thing. So uh, the the breaking news is that Trump has decided to sign a waiver keeping the US embassy in Tel Aviv for now. All right. Now, if some of the so called Christian prophets online here, uh, who have prophesied that Trump is supposed to be like King Cyrus comes to pass well, then I would suggest that if these prophets, as they call themselves, are actually accurate, then we'll see within the next couple of years if Trump becomes like King Cyrus. In the meantime, here's the thing. Don't be putting your faith and your hope in Trump. That's what your faith and hope need to be in God, in Jesus alone. And that's the truth, right? And this is where it drives me crazy with the Christian world because... Christians can get so caught up in politics that they completely lose focus on the Bible, which is where the real answers in life is, which brings me to our quote of the day. <laughs> Eventually, I know it's going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, you try, try being me. Can't just say no. Right, right, Ben? Nice to see you in here again, Ben. All right, so our quote of the day is from, where, where is it from? Isaiah 41, verse 13. Yeah, that's right. Isaiah 41, 13. Do you want to read it, Barathe? Sure. For I am the Lord, your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Yeah. And so, anyway, I picked that verse for a couple reasons. Number one, um, it's a verse specifically to Israel, right? And yes, we can apply it to us if we want, but context-wise, that verse is to Israel. So regardless of what happens to Israel, God has got her back, right? And so we don't have to worry about Israel or, you know, what Trump does or anybody else does. Because in the end, Jesus is coming back. He's going to be defending Israel personally right there in the flesh with a couple of horses. And he's going to wipe out their enemies, okay? That's just how it's going to be, right? So we don't have to worry about it. Um, What's interesting to me is I was trying to find the evangelical outrage about this. Um, I'm sure there is some, <laughs> as usual, but this, you know, 
I'm not outraged because I didn't expect him to actually keep his word in the first place. But he can't do any he can't do everything. But let me read you the article. Okay. Well, yeah, well where was the outrage for the past twenty two years? Well, there since, was. since the law was passed. There's some. Right. All right, so I'll read this. It says here this was from uh writers, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Writers. President Donald Trump signed a temporary order on Thursday to keep the US embassy in Israel in Tel Aviv instead of relocating it to Jerusalem despite this campaign pledge to go ahead with the controversial move. After months, yeah, months, yeah, so many months. Like, he's only been in office five months. Anyway, a fierce debate within his administration, Trump chose to continue uh, his predecessor's policy of signing a six-month waiver overriding a 1995 law requiring that Benjamin be transferred to Jerusalem, an action that would have complicated his efforts to restart Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. The White House instead, however, uh, the White insisted, however, that the decision was to sure to disappoint Israel's U.S. supporters did not mean Trump was abandoning the goal of eventually shifting them to see to Jerusalem, but a U.S. official said no timetable has been set. The question is not if that move happens, but only when, the White House said in a statement. With the deadline looming, Trump made the decision to defer action on the embassy to maximize the chances of successfully negotiating a deal between Israel and the Palestinians, fulfilling his solemn obligation to defend America's national security interests, the White House said. Palestinian leaders, Arab governments, and Western allies have urged Trump not to proceed with the embassy relocation, which would have appended decades of U.S. policy and of course, the printer cut off that line. <laughs> Something by granting the what would have been seen as a as de facto U.S. recognition of Israel's claim to all of Jerusalem as its capital. Gotcha. There you go. Though Israel is disappointed that the embassy will not move at this time, we appreciate today's expression of President Trump's friendship to Israel and his commitment to moving the embassy in the future. That uh, Prime. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, okay, his office said that. Taking a harder stance, Israeli Education Minister Naftali Bennett, a far-right member of Netanyahu's coalition, said delaying the move would damage the prospect of lasting peace by nurturing false expectations among the Palestinians regarding the division of Jerusalem, which will never happen. Uh, Nabil Abu, somebody, <laughs> I'm not even surprised that guy's name, a close aide to Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas said Trump's decision reaffirms the seriousness of the United States and its efforts to achieve peace. And there is no mention of the embassy. Trump avoided any public mention of a potential embassy move during his visit to Israel and the West Bank in May. Despite that, most experts are skeptical of Trump's chances for achieving a peace deal that have eluded other U.S. presidents. The status of Jerusalem is one of the major stumbling blocks. Israel captured Arab East Jerusalem during the 1967 Middle East War and later annexed it, a move not recognized internationally. Israel considers all the city its indivisible capital. The Palestinians want East Jerusalem as the capital of their future state, even though, just so you know, there's nowhere in the Bible that there's mentioned the Palestinian state. It's all made up people, just so you know. Jerusalem is home to sites considered holy by the Jewish, Muslim, and Christian religions. Successive U.S. administrations have insisted that Jerusalem's status must be decided in negotiations. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So that's the news. And here's one other piece of news concerning Israel. And this is actually from the website. What? Are you switching to a different story? Yeah. Well, if I can just comment on that. I know it may derail your plans, but (laughs) that's what I'm here for. All right. The blessed marriage. Yeah, what's most distressing to me about that is that this this is a law that passed in 1995, 22 years ago. Oh, we're moving the embassy to Jerusalem, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And, you know, president after president after president keeps signing six-month waiver. Yes, we're going to do it, but not right now. Yes, we're going to do it, but not right now. And it's just, to me, uh, more troubling than the embassy not uh, moving is, is the disrespect for law. You know, for, you know, it was the electorate's representatives elected passed this law, and presidents can say, well, yeah, okay, that's the law, but 
Not yet. Well, you know, I recognize it as a law, but I can, you know, kind of override and kind of put it off. Yeah, it's going to happen. We just can't say when. It's like, well, what's the point of, you know, you talk about Congress being ineffectual, which they are, uh, not exercising the powers uh, that have been appointed to them in the Constitution. But then when they do, you have the executive branch saying, well, basically making their actions of no effect. Yeah, but um, to answer Rick asked why did he change his mind, I don't think he's completely changed his mind. I think right now his advisors are probably telling him, you know, now is the right time. This might actually hinder uh, the Middle East peace talks, which, you know, is a tricky situation. Here's what I think, though. I mean, you don't have to think what I think, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think it's all fun and, and interesting to watch because I really believe the Bible, when the Bible talks about how God directs man's steps, you know, and, and, and all this stuff, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. That's why this is happening ultimately because it's not time yet. The rise of the Antichrist isn't here yet, but it will come soon, right? I mean, I think, I think it's going to happen in our life, my time, anyway, assuming I, I live to, you know, 100 or something. <laughs> I've only lived 17,600 and something days, just so you know. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, I just don't think it's time yet. I don't think in God's timing that it's time for the peace things to come to happen yet. So, you know, so there's some delay here for some reason, right? It's, it's God's timing. Now, on the other hand, VP Pence, Pence Vice President Pence, um, this was published yesterday over at the Times of Israel uh, website. Says here, Pence to speak at Christian pro-Israel group summit. So it says here, uh, Vice President will address annual meeting of Christians united for Israel in Washington D.C. in July. Um, says here, Vice President Mike Pence will address the annual summit of Christians united for Israel, the largest pro-Israel group in the country. Pence will speak at uh, I don't know how to say that anyway. CUFI's conference in Washington, D.C., which is taking place July 17th through 18th. The group announced it Tuesday. That's my dad's birthday, July 17th. Uh, Pastor John Hagee, who founded CUFI in 2006, praised the Trump administration in a statement saying, We are deeply honored that Vice President will be joining us at our Washington summit this summer. From the day President Trump took office, and each day since, the U.S.-Israel relationship has grown stronger and more vibrant. We are extremely grateful for the Trump administration's strong support of the Jewish state. During the yearly summit, thousands of Christian supporters of Israel gathered in Washington to show their support for the Jewish state. Kupi, uh, or Kupi, or how we say it, um, has over three and a half million members. I actually, I mean, I'm on the, I, I'm on the membership list. I, I've never given them any money, but. You can't go wrong supporting Israel, just so you know. So it's not like, like I said, I, I just don't think yet in God's timing, it's time yet. But you guys watch. You know what? Here's the thing. You know When? This is the thing. When that peace treaty is signed, if we're not here to see it, that's a good thing. <laughs> if we are here to see it, then we better watch out because that means we'll probably be part of the tribulation period. Um, my hope is I don't see it. That's my hope. Just so you know. Okay? I don't know if anybody else agrees with that, but that's fine. All right. So um, I want to thank our sponsor, Ariel Ministries, speaking of Israel. Uh, Ariel Ministries uh, is a Messianic Jewish ministry of Dr. Otto Fruchtenbaum who is a Messianic Jewish believer, and their website is ariel.org, A-R-I-E-L.org. You can use the coupon code still, and you can save 20% when you use the coupon code, Bible News. And also, don't forget, if you really want to learn more about Israel, I recommend Arnold's book, um, Israel, All of You, The Missing Link in Systematic Theology. It's really, really a good book. It gives, it gives, it explains why Israel is so important. Because unfortunately, most pastors in America, for whatever reason, never emphasize Israel. I have no idea why. I don't get it. But if you understand Israel and why, you know, Israel is so important, then it makes sense. So 
Go to Ariel.org. Don't forget also, they have camp coming up in July. Uh, July 9th, I think. July 8th. July 8th. July 8th through the 19th. Okay, August 19th. Uh, that's the program of Messianic Jewish Studies. And uh, and you can get their uh, brochure on Ariel.org and go check that out. Um, also, another friend of mine who supports Israel is my friend Gordon Klingenschmidt. Dr. Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, who is the founder of Praying Jesus Name. Uh, you can go to prayingjesusname.org, sign up for his email alerts, and he gives you little snippets of what's going on in the news from a biblical perspective. And also, he helps us to engage Congress by telling us what's the facts to Congress by going to factscongress.com. You can actually use his free service and let Congress know what you think about facts for free. And also, we want to thank our other sponsor, uh, Prayerful Planner. Uh, This promotion is winding down, everybody, so if you haven't yet got your Prayerful Planner yet, you can go over to prayerfulplanner.com and save 15% when you use the Keep On Code Bible News. I actually love mine, just so you know. Um, And it's it's very helpful. It's like a prayer journal in one. It's like your daily organizer, your prayer journal in one, and it's it's good. In fact, um, yeah, here it is. I got mine right here. See how big that is? It's really big. Very sturdy, like a photo album almost. And um, you can just, you know, here's, here's my front page. See, I wrote it in pink because you guys know I like pink, right? <laughs> I even colored some of it. Anyway, anyway, you can go there, check it out. I think it's till Monday. Uh, there's some stickers that come with it. That are really pretty. There's a prayer card here that tells you how to do it. Uh, if you need some help, there's stickers. And then there's these stickers too. Alright. If you're on the podcast, obviously you can't see what I'm showing. See, but you, you can still go over to prayerfulpanda.com and check it out. And if you don't know, I'm also on Instagram at Bible News Radio and also on Twitter at Bible News Radio. And if you haven't joined my email yet, you can go to BibleNewsRadio.com and join our email list. And if you want to become a pillar of the community, this would be a good time to do it at the beginning of the month uh, in June. And um, you can go to BibleNewsRadio.com forward slash gift and become a pillar of the community. That's basically donating at least $25 a month to us uh, so that we can you know, keep doing what we're doing for you. Yesterday, in fact, my guest, uh, Nicola, I was like, <laughs> I said his name right, yeah. Anyway, after our interview with him, we ran a live, spent another half hour with him, and I recorded most of, I recorded that conversation, and our pillars of the community are going to have access to that. And I'm going to tell you something. He shared with us some stuff that I wish he had shared on our actual show. I'm super tempted to share it with all of you guys, but I'm not going to because it's, I really think it's a benefit for the pillars of the community, people that help us with this. Um, are going to learn actually some quite amazing things that he shared with us about the church in Bulgaria and the government and spies and some other stuff. I mean, you know, don't you think what he shared with us was pretty amazing? I do. Yeah. I do. If you're a pillar of the community, you can join anytime, but go get access to that. I'm going to try to put it up today. Great. So, um... Um, okay, I'm going to sit right now. All right. Okay, now, this story, uh, I want to do the the Devon man who burned the Bible, that one. Okay. As you guys know, I like to find new stories about the Bible. This one's interesting. And this one I'm reading only because I, I think it's a little bit interesting. Well, I think <laughs> it's funny. It's not funny, but it's funny in a sense, kind of. Maybe, depending on your sense of humor. If you have a warped sense of humor like I do, well, then probably not. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will be fun. I don't know. Let me just read it to you, okay? It's titled, Devin Man Who Burned Bible in Row Over Christmas is Fined 666 Pounds. Yeah, that's right. You gotta, you gotta enjoy the judge there, you know, finding the guy 666 pounds. Okay. So it says here, um, a man... Oh, wait, those are comments. Oh, that's, 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 okay. A man who burned a Bible during an argument with his Jehovah's Witness wife 
has been fined 666 pounds. Jason Mortimore was upset with his wife, Rachel, because he feared her strict religious principles were going to stop their three children from celebrating Christmas. Okay, just so you know, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in celebrating Christmas. They also don't believe in voting, you know, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I can understand, especially if he really likes Christmas. Wants his kids to celebrate Christmas, but he's mad and upset with his Jehovah's Witness life. You know, they need marriage counseling, people, just so you know. Anyway. All right, anyway, it says here, this isn't funny, okay? He says here, it says here, he struck her in the face three times with a magazine and burned her Bible and other religious documents in a garden incinerator. Mortimer, who's 46 years old, of Thackeray Road, Exeter, admitted racially aggravated assault and criminal damage and was fined a total of 666 pounds by the Exeter magistrate. More ginger sagegeen, or however you say this guy's name, prosecuting said Mortimer and his wife Rachel had been married for 12 years and they have three children. She had returned to her original faith of being a Jehovah's Witness and in November Mortimer saw she had thrown away some Christmas brochures. He assumed she was not going to celebrate the festivities and before she could explain he hit her with a magazine around the face. A few days later they had a row and she was awoken to find him burning her Bible and other religious documents in a garden incinerator. He also dumped other religious leaflets in the recycling bin. He denied the offenses in police interviews, but he said their relationship was understrained, and he did not want their children to be influenced by her religion. So what a great way to influence them for his religion or non-religion, whatever it is. Peter C., defending, said his client had pleaded guilty at the first opportunity. In most manuscripts in the New Testament and the English translations of the Bible, the number of the beast is 666. So, yeah. Anyway, so, this is not a funny story. I mean, this is a, it's, it's, the domestic violence is not funny. Uh, the reason he got upset, I can understand, but not to the point of, you know, hitting his wife like you know, with a magazine and then burning the Bible, the Jehovah's Witness version of the Bible, um, all that. I just think the reason this made this into the news is because it, he was fined 666 pounds. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think of this article? Well, while I appreciate his not wanting the children to be influenced by JW teaching doctrine, I think they, you know, it's kind of a it's not as much the moving target as Mormon doctrine is, but it has it has changed over the years. Um, yeah, and um, I confess that if I find JW literature lying around, sometimes I just pick it up um, and get out of circulation. Often, ultimately, it gets thrown away <laughs> by me. Um, you know. It's, if I'm not good, I should leave it out there, you know, because I wouldn't want people, you know, picking up the the Bibles out of. I throw it away. I would want people picking the Bibles out of hotel rooms and. I throw it away. I throw yeah. it and then I go, huh? I can prove this wrong. Yeah, but if I just see it lying around somewhere in a public place, pick it up. Which I would do with <laughs> any rubbish lying around in a public place. Pass around, you know, an old newspaper or something like that. I'll figure it out. Then. Okay, I got two more stories. One has to do with the Bilderberger Group, yeah. and this one has to do. This was interesting. I guess we're running out of time. Yeah. Remember a couple of days ago we talked about Dear Abby. Yeah. Well, this is another poem. Dear Katrina. So this is interesting. What to do when a family doesn't want their family Bible? Now, you know, we were talking always about how. We read these stories where we found the Bible and try to get back to the family. Well, what do you do when the family doesn't want it? Listen to this. I thought this was interesting. Dear Katrina, whoever she is, the Katrina, Katrina Fernandez, this is, I guess she's an advice columnist. Dear Katrina, I recently found a family Bible at a local thrift store. It's one of those really nice hardbound Bibles that you give as a wedding gift. I bought it because it has an entire family history of birth announcements, weddings, deaths, and sacrament 
receptions listed in it going all the way back to 1945. I figured someone was probably missing this heirloom, so I took it to Facebook to find them. I was able to get in touch with one of the owner's older grandsons, only he didn't want it. He told me his parents are divorced and no one in their family is Catholic anymore, so I could throw it away if I wanted. I'm not about to throw it away, but, I, but I'm not really sure what to do with it. Advice. And it's fine, Joan. All right, let's hear Katrina's sage advice on this topic. Dear Joan, that was, a, that was wonderful of you to rescue the Bible and go through the effort of tracking the family down. It's unfortunate that he didn't want the Bible. I know it's hard to imagine why anyone would talk away such a beautiful record of their family history. Whether the family is Catholic or not, it is still a written recording of their family you think he would want for himself or for his own children. There could be any number of reasons he decided against retrieving the Bible. Family falling out, estrangement, uh, and uh, anti-Catholicism. Anti-Catholicism. Yeah, what you just said. Anti-Catholicism. Anti-Catholicism. See, it, it didn't print out the edges. Oh. Anyway, or lack of belief altogether. We may never know his reasons, but what we do know is that all of the something the thrift stores in your area, in your area, and all the people who frequent them, that Bible ended up in the possession of a praying, practicing Catholic. That is a beautiful bit of providence. I suggest you keep it. Send a message to the grandson letting him know that you will safeguard the Bible just in case he ever decides to change his mind with your email address so he can contact you in the future. Then, be, then begin praying for this family as if they were your own. Like I said, that Bible ended up in your possession for a reason. It's probably too cumbersome or delicate for everyday Bible reading, plus you don't want to damage it when the owner's family changes their mind. So keep it somewhere safe in your home if you don't have a space, you might call the parish the family used to belong to and see if perhaps the church has an archive library to safely store it. Uh, you can find the parish name in the sacrament recording pages, I'm sure. You're right not to throw it away. Someone wanted this family prayed for and seriously looked after, and it appears you are picked for the job. Pray for their deceased. Remember the family in your daily prayer intentions. Have a, have a something. Mass. Have a mass yeah. set for their dead. For their dead. And please get, keep us posted if the grandson changes his mind. However, don't be discouraged if he doesn't. What you are doing is a wonderful spiritual act of mercy that will change, that will surely have its reward. Consider this thrift store find. Thrift store find a wonderful blessing opportunity to grow in spiritual charity. And this was on ALECIA.org, which I don't even know what type of website that is. But it's a Catholic it's a website. website? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so I read this and I thought, wasn't that nice? Wasn't that a nice uh, advice that that Katrina gave down? You know, I mean, she could have given her the advice. You know what? If he's anti-Catholic, who cares? Just throw the Bible away. Blah blah. Donate. You should donate it back to the thrift store, etc. Blah blah blah. I don't know. I just thought that was nice. Yeah. What did you think? I, except for the praying for dead part, you don't do that because that's not biblical. Mormon doctrine and that other weirdo stuff. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, look at that hair. I'm, yeah, well, I'm not. I'm getting a haircut after the show. Just so you know, people, this beautiful mane of hair is getting getting trimmed. Well, I'm not excited about the Catholicism ritual uh, contained therein. Just the fact that there's a respect for the scripture, and here's someone saying. You know, once again, I'm not going to throw it away. It shouldn't be thrown away. You know, I wonder if it was, you know, written in a, a spiral notebook, the record of the birth and death. Well, that would be the same attitude. Anyway, found it interesting, and I'm glad it was being preserved in any case. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, my hair is pretty good looking today, isn't it? <laughs> So you know, yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, yeah. Okay. So last story I want to look at today is from the DailyMail.co.uk, and th- I don't know how many of you believe in the Bilderberger Group. Or I mean, they exist. The Illuminati, or you know, things like that. But I mean, the Bilderberg Group exists. I mean, it's not like we have to 
whether you believe in it or not, they, they exist and, and they have regular meetings and that's a known fact. Let's look at the article. Okay, let's do it. Okay. It's titled, Secretive Group of Global Power Brokers, the Bilderberg Group, set to gather in Virginia to mull Trump era, including elder statesman Henry Kissinger and NATO secretary. So this is interesting. So here, the Bilderberg meeting in Tampa, Virginia, will attract 131 elites on Thursday. Guests will include politicians, bankers, business titans, and European royalty. They will discuss transatlantic relations and the future of the European Union. We'll also give a quote progress report, unquote, on Trump administration on a four-day meeting. <gasps> Wouldn't you want to be there in that meeting? A secretive group of global power brokers, including elder statesman Henry Kissinger and NATO Secretary Jen Stoltenberg, will gather to debate Donald Trump's presidency. The Bilderberger Group meeting in Chantilly, Virginia will attract 131 elites on Thursday from politicians and makers to business classes and European royalty. They will discuss transatlantic relations, the future of the European Union, and a progress report on the Trump administration beyond closed doors at the four-day meeting. I know, I already read some of that. The highlights, so. That was the highlights I was reading. So, it says here, uh, goes on to say, this year's confab can be seen as a chance for Trump supporters like Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, National Secretary Advisor H.R. McMaster, and billionaire tech entrepreneur Peter Thiel to face his critics like Eric Schmidt. By the way, if you don't know who Eric is, Eric's the, I think he's the CEO or founder of Google or something like that. Ah, yeah, the next line. Schmidt, the executive director of Google's parent company, warned in January that Trump's administration will do evil things. The group has met every year since 1954 and was created as a forum for fostering dialogue between Europe and North America. The meeting, which will also be attended by two civil rights activists, Vernon Jordan, will gather less than 30 miles from the White House. Several journalists are participating in this year's forum, including London Evening Standard editor George Osborne and Kansu Cam Leibel, the Washington Bureau Chief of Turkey's yet newspaper. But per tradition, news outlets are not invited to cover the event. There's no desired outcome, no minutes are taken, and no report is written, the group stated. Furthermore, no resolutions are proposed, no votes are taken, and no policy statements are issued. Uh, no, but what does go on behind closed doors, that's the people. Some people believe it's they can't happening behind closed doors. Anyway. The meeting is expected to address Russia and China, nuclear proliferation, globalization, and the war on information. Guests scheduled to attend the meeting include Dutch King Willem Alexander, who works part-time as a commercial pilot, David Rubenstein, or Steen, co-founder of influential global investment firm, the Carlisle Group, and John Brennan, the CIA chief under Barack Obama. Ex-Deputy Secretary State William Burns and former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Elaine Bunn, both Obama-era officials, will also Burns, the current president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, has warned that Trump risks hollowing out the ideas, initiatives, and institutions on which U.S. leadership and international order rest. Anti-globalization protesters reportedly have descended on the location of the meeting. The secretive nature of the group has given birth to conspiracy theories. Some have warned, for example, that Bilderberg is a group of rich and powerful kingmakers seeking to impose a one-world government. Da, da, da. Well, duh. Okay, and then there's a whole chart of all the different people in it. If you guys want to see it, I'll just tweet the story out on my Bible's radio Twitter account. So, yeah. Anyway, so I bring this up because I, like maybe some of the other conspiracy theories out there. Um, you know, I mean, think about it, right? We're living in an age where Israel's under attack, where anti-Semitism is at an all-time high, where Christians are being martyred on, on, at an unprecedented rate, and where the economy is sucks, let's put it that way, the economy is, you know, and, you know, and globalism, globalism is, is, is kind of like a new religion. You know, let's one world peace. You know, let's worship the earth. You know, let's let's uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, 
um, the environmental, you know, global climate change, warming, you know, blah, blah, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Not warming. That's that's well, a past day. Yeah. It's, it's climate change. Climate change, yeah. Because when the climate changes, it means the weather has changed, people. That's all that means. <laughs> but they made this into this new age wacko religion, which has nothing to do with anything, because nobody could coexist, because Jesus said he's the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And so yeah. that's why Christians are being murdered, and, you know, because we refuse to be part of the maker. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right, Carolyn? Yeah. So all I have to say, don't worry about it. You know what? Who cares? Just focus on the Lord. I know it sounds so like, bleh, you and your focus on the Lord talk, but it's really true. If you... If you just open the Bible up and read it every single day, all you gotta do is be encouraged when you read it. It's a book of hope, a book of life, you know, and it's a book that tells you all about what's going on in the world. And believe it or not, I, I mean, when I read the Bible every day, I open it up, I read it, and it, I, I don't go, oh my gosh, I'm reading this ancient book. It's a couple thousand years old. I go, man, this is amazing. This thing like totally applies to me right now. I get answers sometimes in some of the weirdest ways. I'll get a verse on go, Oh my gosh, that's the answer to my issue. I have no idea. You know, um, it, the Bible is an amazing book, and it's it's in the news every day. You know, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes you know because somebody did something nefarious and evil. Um, but you know, we we can have hope if we just believe. You know, believe in Jesus. Right. Um, don't just believe anything. Believe in the Bible. Believe in Jesus and in, in Christ. Right? He died for our sins. Uh, yeah. He, he died for our sins on the cross. And then, you know, he was the perfect sacrifice. He wasn't like sinful like everybody else who died on the cross. He was innocent. Completely sinless. He can't lie. He was buried in the ground. A couple of days later, he rose from the dead. He's still alive today. And that's the amazing thing about our faith. You know, I have people on this show every day or every week, not every day, but every week, that Christ has touched, you know, their life and changed them forever. Yesterday, I had a guy on from Bulgaria, right, a pastor in Bulgaria, who shared his testimony about how he became a Christian without even anybody sharing the gospel with him. That's crazy. And then he took 10 years of his life almost to write a book about the gospel. That's transformation. Why would anybody do that if it wasn't real? You know what I mean? Um, next week, I have on Kamal Salim again. He's coming on Tuesday. He was raised as a Muslim terrorist under the PLO. As a, as a boy, he was taught how to blow up people or blow up himself. Um, you know, and then we're going to have on Tommy Norman, who's a wonderful Bible teacher, on Wednesday. She's going to talk to us about whatever God's laying on her heart. Uh, Sue Gerard, who's very big in the Christian music industry, is coming on on Thursday. And Pastor Pete, a.k.a. Pastor P, is going to be our guest on Friday. And by the way, you guys, if you haven't tuned in to Pastor Pete's Periscope, you guys need to tune in. Listen to all his scopes if you can. He's actually doing a study right now on the importance of apologetics. And, you know, that means studying to know what you believe and why. The importance of knowing what to how to defend your faith. And he's offering some really great resources. So check him out. Because um, he really, really, really has a, a heart for the word of God. Wow, that was really loud in my head. Yeah. Anyway, he, you know, he's, he's just a man of the word. He's an evangelist at heart, I think. And um, he loves the word. And so and he's here on Periscope. And here's the other thing. Why do you think God, this is the thing that blows me away, right? God has lifted up people in the, in the world. He's put us on Periscope to share the good news, right? Have, think about that. Think about, and there's no, no other time in history has there been the opportunity that Christians have all over the world to use a mobile app to share the gospel. And the messages, the way the Holy Spirit moves sometimes, I, I listen to some people, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And this was on my mind this morning, and then I go and I'm like, man, God's trying to encourage and disciple and share his love with his people. And we're here to do that very thing. So let me just end it by this saying, hey, 
You know what? Thank you for tuning in to Bible News Radio. Thanks for supporting And don't forget to be bold to stand up and go stuff. And ultimately, it's not to do with all that matters. And that's how we'll end the show today. So we'll see you tomorrow.